Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. In the beginning, the Garden of Eden was God's intent, created out of His love towards us, the goodness of a good God. God created Adam and put him in a world where he would thrive. So why doesn't our world look like the original garden? Where did it go wrong? Join us for this six-week series as we explore the root of everything, good and bad. It can all be found in the garden. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. Hey, we especially want to welcome our first-time guests. Would you guys do me a favor? Put your hands together. Help me welcome those who are here for the first time, whether online or in the room. We're so glad to have you guys with us. Hope you're experiencing God's presence because nothing else matters when you are. All right, hey, before we go any further, I want to tell you about something that's coming up. Our next series is our global outreach series. We do this every single year. It has a different theme always. But the reason for this is because it is so important we not forget the mission and why we are here. And the reason I'm talking about it now is because we have a very special guest the first weekend of that series, and they're actually going to be doing a very special event with us on this Saturday before they preach, which means i got to tell you about it now, because if you wait to meet them, it'll be too late. So on Saturday, October 24th, right here from 9 to 1, as well as online, uh, we have a training for how to live in such a way that we can reach our friends without being weird. Come on, how many of you have friends that need to go to heaven, right? But how many of you don't want to be the weirdo that's like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? You know, I mean, so, so imagine that you could be a normal person and uh, treat people like normal people, but somehow still manage to bring them into the kingdom. Uh, anyway, it's really cool. He's a lot of fun. You won't regret it. So I want to encourage you to come out for that. You do need to register. So go to our website or our app, and that way you get the information about how to go online uh, and get the link for that day, and also let us know that you're here. So we have enough food for you, because that's always important, right? Okay. Well, hey, uh, if you are here for the first time, we're in a series, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I hope you are. Don't know if you are. I am a Bible nerd, so I tend to maybe have more fun than everybody else, but uh, this is a six-part series. Today is five, which means we've got one more to go next weekend, and the series is called In the Garden. It's going all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden when God created the first man and woman, put them in the garden, and uh, then we discover two very important things what was meant to be and what should not be. And we're trying to go back and understand those two so we can reverse when they are wrong in our lives and we can fix some of what's broken. And that's what uh, this series has all been about. So hey, let me start with a question today. How many of you have ever done something that you knew would get you in really big, big trouble with your parents? Come on, right? There you go. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying because we were all kids at one point. Some of us still are, and uh, none of us were that perfect, right? So how did you feel? Did, did you feel like maybe kind of like guilty? Uh, did anybody feel like they had created a victory? Yes, got away with it, right? How many of you felt like um, you were afraid you were about to get busted at any moment, and so you were just always nervous and even sick to your stomach, you know? Uh, the real question is, what did you do with that? 
What, what did you do with all of the feelings and everything you did wrong? Is anybody in here one of those people who, because we have two responses. Anybody in here, the first response, you immediately ran to your parents and told them what you did wrong and how sorry you were and just started crying. Any of you in here, right? No, no. Well, we, I see some hands. We have some goody two-shoes. We hate you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you. We love you. We love you. Didn't mean that anyway. So the rest of us, except for the two people that raised their hands, are the people who actually thought we could hide it, cover it up, and ultimately get away with it. We would never get caught, right? Teresa's raising, there you go, okay, yeah, we're those people. So um, I, I tried that once when I was a kid. I, I tried it a lot of times when I was a kid, but I'm only going to tell you one of the stories. And uh, I, when I was about uh, 10 or 11, 12 years old, something like that, I had an incredibly nasty bike wreck. And uh, the reason that that matters is because I had a bike wreck doing something I was not supposed to be doing in a place I was not supposed to be. So that's, that's what goes, goes down here. See, I grew up in the country, and the road in front of my house was a two-lane road where cars went full speed. So I wasn't afraid to spend a lot of time on that road because if you're on a bicycle as a kid and, and cars are coming, there's really no way to get out of the way. And so I was allowed only to go as far as it would take to get to a couple of friends' houses. Uh, but this particular day, my friends and I, we all decided we want to do something more adventurous than sit around and look at each other, each other and say, you know, what do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. So we decided we were going to go to this road that was down the road, and it was this dirt road, which is really gravel where, you, you know, I come from, and, and it was a really huge, steep hill, and, and we thought, man, how amazing is it going to be to go faster than we can ever pedal ourselves on our bicycles all the way down this hill and, and then there's this little bridge at the bottom and then back up the other side I think we can make it all the other side just with our momentum our our inertia it's going to be amazing right and so I was the one that went first anybody ever tried to ride a bike on a gravel road knows how this story's about to end okay so I was the one that went first and about halfway down I discovered exactly how fast a bicycle with like an 11 or 12-year-old boy's body on it can go and, and when the handlebars start doing this and you're losing total control Unfortunately, like I said, I was about halfway down. I finished the hill tumbling between me and every shoulder and knee and elbow and my bicycle, and the only thing that stopped us was when we all slammed together, bicycle and me, into the, the bridge thing that was there. I was hurt. I was hurt so bad my bike was wrecked, it wouldn't ride, and even if it did ride, I couldn't ride it because my knees were just like covered in blood and had gravel in them and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I went home, and I hid my bike. I snuck into my bedroom. I closed the door. I went to the other side of my bed opposite the door, laid down on the floor, and hoped that Jesus was going to come back before my mama found me. <laughs> True. Because I, I was in trouble. I, I, I did something I wasn't supposed to be doing. So look, uh, one of the things that, that most everybody knows, whether they're a Christian or not, if you ask them about the story of the garden, the beginning of the Bible, they all know it as where mankind did something we weren't supposed to do, where human sin entered the world for the first time. Some people use the phrase, the fall of humanity. And uh, the real issue that we don't talk about enough is how they responded to that moment in their lives. That's what we're looking at today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. If not, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen right there for you. We've looked at this story so far, so I'm going to read this rather quickly. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And so we know this part of the story so far is the time where God's word was attacked, God's character was attacked, Eve was deceived, Adam failed to lead and protect and guard the authority God gave him, and everything went wrong. They did the one thing God told them not to do. Another way to say this is, is that they sinned. And if we were to, we don't like that word anyway, right? We don't like to say they sinned, but this is where human sin entered the world. And if we were to go around the room and, and say, hey, what, what does sin mean to you? You know, I mean, we all kind of have an idea, but it'd be hard to put exact words on it. A lot of us would say things like, well, uh, doing something bad or doing something wrong, right? I, I grew up in church where they would use the word sin a lot. And I remember as a kid very distinctly thinking and I pulled out my little Bible that I had to carry every Sunday and wondering, which chapter has that list? I mean, anybody else in the area? Like chapter 17, all the sins. Number one, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. I mean, that's kind of what I thought was, was in there somewhere. And so maybe some of you also have the idea there's a list in the Bible, something like that. Let, let me help us with this idea before we go any further. I need to make sure we all understand sin before we talk about how we're responding to it. And sin is, the best definition I can give you is our failure to meet God's moral commands, either in our actions or our attitudes or even our very nature, meaning what we think and what we feel and what we want. And so I get a lot of conversations with people. I've had the conversations even during this series because they say, well, wait a minute. What about all of those rules in the Old Testament? What do I do with those? Because there are things in there that I just don't understand. And is it a sin if I do something I read about in Leviticus? Especially, I love it when we, you know, we always talk about we should be, you know, trying to read our Bibles and, and we try to encourage everybody to do the one-year Bible. And, and every time somebody does that for the first time, it, they come to me and they say, I started reading Leviticus. And I just go, oh, no. I mean, I, I kind of already know where the conversation's going to go. And, and I had a conversation even during this series with someone who was, had just gone uh, grocery shopping and bought a bunch of lobster, but then they started reading Leviticus and they found out they weren't supposed to eat shellfish according to Leviticus. And, and so a lot of times we're confused about, well, what is a sin? And, and in this case, he was asking, is this sin to eat lobster? And I get asked these questions all the time. So, so let me make this as simple as I can and hopefully uh, give a lot of you a lot of relief in, in many areas. Uh, there are three types of commands or rules in God's law in the Old Testament. The first one is a group called the national or civil laws. Because not only was Israel a group of people, but Israel was a nation, and they were God's nation. And so God was the ultimate governor. He was the one that said, look, this is how we're going to operate as a nation. But we don't have to follow those rules anymore because we are not citizens of the Old Testament Israel. Does that make sense? And so then there's a second group of, of laws or commands in the Old Testament, and those are ceremonial or religious laws for the Old Testament Jewish faith. And so there, that's where the, the don't eat lobster and the don't eat a, a pig comes in because lobster or shellfish in general, pigs and, and other things, the list is long, were declared unclean. And if you take something unclean inside of you, you become unclean. And if you're unclean, you cannot come and worship God. You had to stay ceremonially clean in order to go to the temple and worship as one of the Old Testament Jews. 
We know, however, that we don't go to heaven by following the Old Testament rules. We go to heaven because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And, and anything we do that is a sin, we end up being forgiven for. And so some people would ask, well, if we're forgiven, does it even really matter what we do? And the answer to that is yes, because of the third group. The third group of, of commands that God has in his scripture are his moral commands. It's his nature revealed to us. It's not about how to be an Israeli citizen thousands of years ago. It is not about how to be a good Jew coming to the temple thousands of years ago. It is about how to be like God. And this is where his moral commands come in. Things like don't lie and don't steal and, and have no other gods and idols and and uh, sexual morality uh, ideas that he has for us because our bodies are his temple. And so those sorts of things. And God still expects for us to follow this moral code. So, so let's just make this clear. When we say that we've sinned, it means we've violated God's nature, which is his moral commands. You can eat all the pig you want. Everybody say amen if you like bacon and barbecue because I'm a good southerner and I do too. Uh, I'm not saying it's a good idea to eat a lot of that. That's a different, different message. We'll come back to that another day. So what we're gonna see now, now that we understand what sin is, is violating God's moral code. We've gone against his nature, which is exactly what Adam and Eve have done because they did exactly what God said don't do. We're gonna look at the aftermath because the aftermath is where the mess begins. Next verse, so then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Three very important things just happened. The first is that their eyes were open. It means now they are suddenly aware. They have a self-awareness they've never had before. And the problem is, is their eyes are open and they have this knowledge of good and evil. It's not like they expected because it's not like it was promised. If you remember, we just read it. The enemy says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. Matter of fact, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. I can just see him smiling while he's giving the sales pitch. And so they're thinking, be like God? Well, that's amazing because we love God. We walk in the garden. He's really cool. He's like our best friend. We want to be like him. So they've got this idea, and it doesn't turn out like that. Matter of fact, let, let me give you an analogy. Have you ever watched... A, a, a game, let's just say a football game, and you don't really care about either team. Maybe you're actually waiting on your game to start in a few minutes, and this other game just hasn't quite ended. And so somebody's winning, somebody's losing. You have knowledge of both, but you don't care about either team, so it doesn't affect you. You just are aware of the winning and the losing, right? You ever kind of been there? Okay, but on the other hand, have you ever actually played for a team that lost? especially if it's something really, really important, like let's say a championship, like something like the Super Bowl. Has anybody ever wondered how you can watch a grown man who makes millions of dollars a year cry because he lost a game? It's not because he just lost a game. It's because his entire reality has been reframed. All he knows and all he sees is everything from the point of loss. He doesn't think about the points that he scored. He doesn't think about that incredible play back in the second quarter. None of that matters because all he knows is he had a shot and it's gone. Everything is seen through the eyes of loss. And that's where Adam and Eve are at this very moment. They are guilty and they feel it. And so because their eyes are open, then they were naked. You see, what used to be naked and not ashamed, as we read earlier in the story, has now become naked and very, very ashamed. What used to be the way God made them has now become indecent exposure. And then the third thing that happened because they are naked and very ashamed is they sewed fig leaves together. 
And on the surface, of course, it means they're simply trying to deal with the physicality of the shame. But we need to, to look deeper at the meaning here because what they were really doing by sewing fig leaves together is they were trying to fix their own broken reality by themselves. Something that, well, honestly, is absolutely impossible. Let's keep going because the aftermath gets worse. And so then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. When we tell this story, we all think about the fact that they ate the fruit and they weren't supposed to, and we all just wish we could have a time machine and go back and say, no, you know, turn it into slow motion and like run up and slap the fruit like right out of her hand, like, yes, I've saved humanity. We wish we could go back to that moment, and, and that would be really great. I wish we could do that as well, but there's not enough emphasis put on this moment which is what did they do after they messed everything up? Because the reality is they can't fix it. The only one who can fix it is the one that they've decided to run and hide from. And they're not going to the one who has any help. This is exactly where I was when I had that bike wreck. I mean, I'm like 11 years old. I don't have a limb on my body that is not cut up and bleeding, and yet I am laying on the carpet in my bedroom thinking, that, that this was just going to go away. I need somebody to fix this. I don't know how to get gravel out of my knees. I bet my mom does, but I'm not about to tell her because I've done something wrong. I can't fix this. And the very one who can fix it, I'm hiding from. I did another thing about the same age in my life where uh, it, oh, a lot of pain, boy, I've got some stories. And as, again, I grew up in the country, as I told you. And, and so I was out one day, another friend of mine had come over. And so our two moms were in the living room talking. And we're outside just kind of doing those, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? You know. And so uh, as we're standing around not figuring out much to do, uh, we kicked the stump and noticed it was a little rotten. Anybody ever kicked a rotten stump? And first of all, I guess you got to be like a 10 or 11-year-old boy to consider this fun. But, you know, you kind of kick a stump and it's rotten and pieces of it just go flying. And so you kick it again and pieces go flying. And so you like, I, I bet we can literally, like, man, we're, we can, like, destroy this stump. Man, we're awesome. And so we start kicking this stump. And about halfway through kicking this stump, we discover, who knows where this story's going, it was a yellow jacket's nest. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so suddenly we are being stung all over. Bees are up our pants, inside our shirt. They are everywhere. I believe the number is 24. I know it was over 20 times that I was stung. And suddenly we are running to our mama screaming, Mama! And we're ripping our clothes off. I mean, we're back to the garden naked and not ashamed. We don't care. Because <laughs> when you've got 20 bees up your pants, you don't care who's looking anymore, you know? And the reason that we ran to our mamas is because we hadn't done anything wrong. Nobody ever said, don't kick a stump. Nobody ever cared if we kicked the stump. The stump was old and rotten anyway. Didn't do anything wrong. It's funny how we run to the ones who can help us when we don't have guilt. When we do have guilt, we hide. And we sow our fig leaves together. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, busted. <laughs> he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. You were afraid? Why? He told us, because he was naked. Well, what's the big deal with that? He's been naked every other day, every other time God's called him. He was naked. Yes, but now he knows he's naked, and he knows why he knows he's naked. And so because of that, he's afraid. He's afraid of God because he's aware of his guilt, and he knows what he's done wrong. And his first response to guilt is our first response to guilt, and that is shame. 
He suddenly feels like there's something wrong with me. I'm ashamed. He feels dirty. He feels condemned. And so God asked the question. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, look, I want to make sure everybody understands something. When God asks a question in the Bible, he's not looking for information. God knows. God knows the answer to this. But it's very, very important, as we'll see before we're done today, that Adam can own up to it. So God's not asking for information. He's trying to give Adam an opportunity to fix something. And instead of saying, yes, he says, well, the woman you gave me. Oh, let me point that out, by the way, because in case you don't want to blame her, let me just remind her, you gave her to me. (laughs) That's right. Your fault. Her fault. Not my fault. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and, well, I ate. This is our second response to guilt, which is to blame. You see, blaming is when we defend ourselves by attacking others because when we can tear them down, we lift ourselves up. And so then the Lord God turned to the woman and says, what is this you've done? Now, I want everybody just to freeze time because imagine God came, caught Adam and Eve, looks at Adam and says, What did you do? And he says, look, the woman you gave me, she made me eat. And then God turns to the woman. There is a split second in all of eternity where Adam goes, "Ah, it worked. And at this exact moment, Eve thinks, how did that work? So I'm going to do it too. So then she says, the the serpent that you put in the garden. I'm just going to add that in. But you can imagine she's thinking, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so Adam and Eve both resorted to blame defending themselves by attacking someone else. Now, the whole series is about what did we find in the garden that is still impacting us today? Well, what we just found in the garden is the garden response to sin. And why this is still impacting us today is because this is our natural response to sin. It is still the first thing we do when we have done something against God's moral code. It is the first thing we do when we know we have done something wrong. So let's take a look at it. Starts with guilt. Again, guilt is an awareness that we've done something wrong. I've preached before that I believe guilt is a good thing, and I I got some pushback from some people. Let me clarify I'm not saying that feeling guilty is a good thing, that actually is just another explanation of shame. But guilt is a good thing because guilt is an awareness you have offended God's nature, and without an awareness that you've done something against God, you'll never change it. You'll never fix it. Paul wrote about this extensively in the New Testament saying, look, if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't know that I'd sinned. And if I didn't know I sinned, I'd keep doing it. So so it's a good thing that somebody has said, you're wrong. I need to know that I've done something against God. Guilt is simply an awareness. It is a fact. It is a state of being. And the response to guilt is where it gets ugly, though. Started for them with fig leaves. It's an effort for us to cover our own sin. We talked about this last week in this message on religion, where religion was born in the garden, this idea that I can do things and put forth my effort to to get God's acceptance. And it comes out of this because we know we're all inherently guilty. We know we all did something yesterday or last week or whenever that, that there's guilt again. And so we're constantly doing things to try to remove that guilt. We're we're trying to get God's acceptance back. The sad part, though, is most of us still relate to the idea of being right with God and going to heaven like it's some kind of math equation. And most of us didn't even like math in school in the first place, which is really sad. We're torturing ourselves. But we, we have this idea like, well, I lied to my parents, so that is a negative one. 
And then I went to church on the weekend. That's a positive one. And well, you know, that only kind of gets me average at zero. So I'm going to go to youth. Another positive one. Woo! Okay, I'm on the plus side. God's good with me. And the sad part, not only is this really the basis of every religion in the world except for Christianity. You remember we learned that Christianity is about what God has done for us. Every other religion is about what we're doing for God. But the sad part is that this actually has crept into some expressions of the Christian faith. Some of us were raised with the idea that there are certain things we can say, certain things we can do, certain things we can pray that will erase or absolve some of the things that we've done wrong. And that's not in the Bible. It's absolutely wrong. Matter of fact, before we leave, if I just offended anybody, hang on, because I'm going to show you the only thing that will ever remove our sins. So... When the fig leaves don't work, we find ourselves in the third response, and that is shame. We simply feel dirty. We feel wrong. We feel bad. And by the way, the devil loves this. And he comes running and he piles on the condemnation and it's all there at that moment and we feel so bad. And with all the things that he's saying, we find ourselves believing things like, if anybody knew the real me, if anybody knew who I really was, if they knew the things I did, no one would love me. No one would want to be around me. And since God does know everything, there's no way God could accept me. And in our shame, we hide. We stop going to church for a while because, well, that just reminds us of, of what we've missed out on and what we got wrong. And We don't even talk to God. We don't pray we know we're, there's some scripture out there that says we can go to him and we can ask for forgiveness. Yeah, but, you know, we just don't want to do that. And we even hide from our Christian friends. We stay away from them because we just don't want to be reminded of what we used to be or how we could be. And, well, you can only keep the shame inside for so long, which leads to the last part, and that is blame. We've got to get rid of the shame. And the only way that we can do that is if we can defend ourselves, lift ourselves up by putting someone else down, and we attack them. But there's two big problems with this. You see, when we defend ourselves by attacking someone else, then we take on a victim mentality. And that means that we don't take responsibility for ourselves. And I've preached this before, but you can't be the victim and the victor. So as long as you want to hold them to that victim mentality, you're going to be trapped right there. And the second part of that is that when we are attacking someone else, we have adopted Satan's nature. The Bible says he is the accuser and the attacker of God's children. So when we are defending ourselves at such a cost that we want to act like him, I mean, think about it. There is one more type of blame, and that is where we turn it all inward. Because the voice of the enemy gets very, very loud in our shame and so we just look at ourselves and, and say how horrible we are. But it doesn't lead us to a point of remorse and change. It unfortunately leads us to a point of, of condemnation and believing even God couldn't love us anymore. And some of us have been there. Maybe somebody online today is there, because you're probably not in the room, to be honest. And, and it's where you've walked away from what used to be a life-giving faith because the shame was so much and the self-blame became so overwhelming that it's been a year or two years since you were involved in your faith. You, you can't even remember the last time that you opened your Bible and you think, man, I used to just love God so much. 
Now, I'm not going to leave you there. That's the good news. Who wants some good news today? Because that is the mess that was made. That is the aftermath. That is our natural response, still inherited response. We do those same things, but there is a better way, and that's what I want us to end with today, because there is a different response. I'm going to call it the cross response to sin. There's a garden response to sin, but there's also a cross response to sin. While this is not our natural response, it can become our learned response. It can become the way that we choose to respond when we know that we have sinned. So it starts with guilt. Once again, it starts with simply an awareness that I have done something against God's nature and that needs to change. There's a scripture in the Bible, it's really important right here, that helps us understand instead of running from God, we actually need to run to God. It's the number one thing Adam and Eve got wrong in their response. The first thing they should have done is go, oh no, what did we just do? God help! But they didn't. They hid. But God tells us to do that. Matter of fact, Look at 1 John 1, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only is the sin going to be removed, but we are actually going to be right before. We're going to be clean and we're going to feel clean. We're going to know we're clean. That was the reason that God said, Adam, have you eaten of the tree I told you not to eat? Because he needed Adam to confess. He needed Adam to come and say, yes, this is what I've done wrong. Now look, right at this point, experientially as a pastor, I find a lot of people get themselves into a trouble because they understand we are saved by grace through faith. It is what Jesus did on the cross that all of my sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow were forgiven. And because of that, some of us think it doesn't matter if we sin, and we also think we never need to deal with our sins. I actually should have come up with a third response to sin, and that's just the arrogant one. It says, I don't need to even think about it. We're just going to pretend I didn't say that. But that's where some of us go. Because here's the, the truth. Even though you are maybe going to heaven, you are going to heaven if Jesus is your king and you are forgiven, you now have a problem. And that is a broken relationship with God and potentially a broken relationship with another human if, if the sin was against them. Let, let me give you an example. Let's say that there's a married couple who gets into a really ugly fight and they say some things they should never say to each other and definitely not as a follower of Jesus. And they find themselves sitting in a marriage counseling room and the counselor says, you need to apologize to your spouse. And imagine at that point, them saying, why should I apologize? I'm already forgiven. Just because you're forgiven doesn't erase the effects of it in this world. You can be forgiven already for what you said to your husband or your wife. It won't keep you out of heaven. But it might cause a whole lot of other problems in your marriage. You may be going to heaven, but have a broken relationship experientially with God at this moment. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And no one's getting their theology wrecked. You, you can be forgiven and going to heaven, but still be in a, a broken relationship at the moment. And this is why if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Second part of the cross response, no better word here, but Jesus. Thought about using the word sacrifice because it's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Thought about using the word blood because it is the shedding of his blood that did for us and continues to do for us what our fig leaves could never do. Matter of fact, I told you earlier 
that there's absolutely nothing you can do. There's, there's not enough positive things that will work out the negative in your life. And here's why. The Bible tells us this. Look, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about this next week in the last part, how God did an amazing thing for Adam and Eve right there in the garden. It's why in the Old Testament, Jews had to bring an animal with them every time they came to worship because every time they came to worship, they were going to acknowledge that they were sinful people. And the only way to deal with their sinfulness was to give an animal to the priest and the priest would sacrifice it and the blood would pay for their sins. This is what Jesus did. The ultimate final sacrifice. That's why the Bible says in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now I wanna go back to the verse that we read a minute ago because a lot of people know that verse. It's very, very famous. But a lot of people skip one of these words. Matter of fact, a lot of people will quote this verse and leave this word out because we don't understand the importance of it. But it says if we are if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just. Means he's a just God. He's a God of justice. Let me make sense of it by putting the opposite in there. What if it said he is faithful and unjust? This is the opposite of that, meaning he is right legally to forgive our sins. How? This is the reason we struggle to forgive people sometimes because we think that when God forgave us, he just said, oh, look at you, you're my kids, I love you, don't worry about it. After all, Jesus, it's all good, don't worry about it. No, that would mean he's unjust. He's unjust if he just says, don't worry about it. Because he's saying that an offense against holiness is irrelevant. That would make him a very unjust God. See, he, he didn't look at us and our sins and just say, oh, it's okay, I love you. What he did was send his son to die whose blood was shed. And his blood paid for our sins. And so the list that it was accredited to us, if you can imagine a list in heaven that's got the name Jimmy at the top and all the things I've done wrong, what happened is that list was removed from my name and it was put on Jesus' name. They were paid for, not ignored. And that is what makes God just to say you're forgiven. So he's not saying I'm ignoring it. He's saying the offense against holiness has been cleared by the blood of Jesus. That's why it doesn't matter how many times you pray something you pray, how many times you read your, you read your Bible an extra 10 minutes because you sinned yesterday. It, it, no, because none of it is blood. And it wouldn't do any good to shed your own blood anymore anyway because the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus, which leads us to the third response, which is forgiven. Because we've gone to God and we've confessed and we've cleaned that relationship, because Jesus made a way and our sins are paid for, and God is now just to forgive us. We are forgiven, which leads us to the last one, and that is right with God. Church word here is righteous. You ever heard that word? It just means being right with God legally and experientially. We're right with God. If the enemy comes and points at you and says, oh, look, 
Look, look at Jim, he sinned. God's gonna say, hmm, I don't know, his list seems to be empty. Look at Jesus. It's right with God, both legally and experientially. You, you feel clean and there's no shame because you're clean and you feel it. You, you're accepted and you know it, so there's no blame. You are loved and you know it, so there's no reason to hide. Man, and as a result of all of that, instead of hiding, we can't wait to be with God's people in God's presence to experience him. Now look, we all sin, we all have, we all will again. Is anybody tired of the shame? Is anybody tired of blaming yourself, blaming everybody else, and figuring out that never worked? Really good question is, what are your fig leaves, and aren't you tired of those? Aren't you just tired? The good news is we don't have to be tired anymore because today we have a choice. We can respond to our sin like we're living in the garden, or we can respond to our sin like we're living at the cross. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. We're going to do one or the other because you can't fix this. But God can, and the best news is God already has. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, you are such a loving God. We stand here today and thank you that we are not trapped, hiding trying to cover our shame and pointing fingers at everyone, even ourselves. No, 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 God, you did not leave us there. We thank you right now, all of those of us who could say and, and do say, Jesus is my king. I know that he died for me. I know that I'm forgiven. God, we thank you that we can respond as though we are at the cross because the work of the cross was for us. God, we thank you for your goodness. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I wanna talk to those of you that couldn't say what I just prayed. You can't say right now that Jesus is your king because you've, you've never taken that moment to exchange the life you've been living for the one that he has for you, the one that he created for you on the cross when he paid for your sins. The good news it's very simple to begin that. Wherever you are, if you're seated in this room, if you're kneeling on your living room floor, would you say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. So my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. 
head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.